0: Hello and welcome to Technically Minded, a podcast brought to you by Credera. We're a global boutique consultancy and here we discuss hot topics in business and tech with our colleagues in an effort to share our collective insights with you. My name is Niall Donnelly, I'm part of our Modern Marketing Transformation Team here at Credera and I'm your host for today's episode. And I'm very excited to be joined today by two fellow UK Credarians, James Jeffrey and Nick Green. We'll be discussing how our guests came into their professional careers and also alternative paths into the coding and engineering space. So thank you very much both for being here today. Uh, Would both of you mind please giving a brief hello and a little bit about what you do if we start with James.
1: Yeah sure, hi I'm James, I'm a Principal Engineer here at Credera UK so uh, I work in engineering projects with our clients but I also work within the practice improving aspects of our work such as our career framework.
2: Hi yeah I'm Nick Green, Uh, I'm also a Principal Engineer at Credera UK Uh, Very similar to James, I've been helping a number of clients uh, across the UK, but a lot of my focus is really about how we build the next generation of technical team leaders and how we help uh, younger engineers progress through their career as well.
0: Thank you again. Thank you both for being here today, because I think it's a really interesting topic and one that our listeners will really, really appreciate hearing about, especially you guys working so hard on, on getting this built for the Credera business in the UK. So to get started, would would you, Nick, mind telling us, how did you get started in your career?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, for, for the observant listeners, uh, I, I'm actually not from the UK originally. I'm from a, a teeny tiny country in the South Pacific called New Zealand. Um, it might surprise you to know this, but in New Zealand, farming is quite a big thing. So when I started my career in software engineering, uh, it was actually for farming related equipment so i sort of learned a lot about how to um, have small devices in various parts of the business sort of capture data uh, process information sort of send it back so i got really interested in um, using the smallest amount of data and uh, moving it around uh, uh, information technology systems as efficiently as possible which is what eventually sort of led me into sort of thinking about big data um, and sort of scaling that across sort of wider things.
0: And James, what about you? How did you get started in your career?
1: Well, I was, I mean, I was a geeky kid. I, you know, uh, learned a lot about computers growing up back in an era when schools didn't necessarily teach all that much about computers other than how to use a word processor. Um, So at the point I I left school, I had a place at university, but I discovered that it was the middle of the dot-com boom and that those Unix skills that I had learned at home were actually enough to get me into an entry-level job. And I started my career, worked my way up through that, starting off as a firewall administrator, moving through system administration, um, managed services, a bit of contracting, some consultancy uh, moving into sort of the DevOps world and eventually more more general IT consulting.
2: James, quick question before before we move off that. So you're you're, you're a Linuxy sort of person. While you were learning computers, was was the Commodore still around? Back in my uh, formative years, <clears throat> there, there were quite sort of fierce debates between the IBM style PCs and the Commodore Amiga for example? Was that something you got involved in?
1: So there were definitely Amigas around. I I never had one myself. Um, the first computer I really got to play with was an old CPM thing based on a Z80 processor that my dad had built from a kit. Um, so that was the first one that I really got to play with. We did get an 8-bit Atari at one point, but before too long, moved on to IBM PCs. How about, how about the old Specky? Uh, a friend had a Spectrum. Um, I learned to program it a little bit. But, um, of course, in the, in the UK, we had the Acorn computers as well, which were, you know, way ahead of their time. And you could play with those a bit at school. Um, so I got to do a little bit of assembly language programming for ARM which was really cool. The local library had a book on a and writing. This is a really specific book for a library to have. It was a book on writing kernel modules for ACORN computers and our local library had that. So I was able to get that and, and write a module. And just
0: speaking of that, Nick, I, I remember you, you've told me in the past, didn't you start essentially programming before you even had a computer program on you, you had, didn't you have a book?
2: Yeah. My, uh, my my friend, whose name also happened to be James, in New Zealand, he had a Commodore VIC 20, which was the big thing of the day, and uh, he used to load programs onto it with a tape drive, which I'm sure a lot of the listeners are probably thinking what what on earth is that? Uh, I'll let you Google that on your on your own. It was quite clear from an early age that I was going to do something with computers, because at the age of eight. I would phone up my friend James and read out to him the program I had written for his computer. So I tried to make a a little sort of adventure game in the uh, basic language. I don't think it actually worked, but it sort of showed my my intent and interest in it, at least.
0: I was going to say, yeah, so it, it definitely seems to both of you that, you know, that your passion for this space is obviously isn't just professional, not limited to professional careers. But it's been with you for for a lot longer than that did you feel that you, because you had like an aptitude for it and obviously skills in it before you went into your professional career did it drive you toward that or just end up there because of those skills or was it more driven by your passion and interest would you say
2: well i can't speak for james i i sort of felt probably sort of both sides of that so i i do remember at the age of about 13 i think sort of just one sort of night as a, a young teenager sort of sitting down with my um Again, it was a Commodore. It was a uh, Commodore Amiga 600. Uh, I just sat down with a a programming language book, just decided to learn it. I decided the first thing I wanted to do was to have pictures on the screen and move them around with the joystick uh, because I thought that would be fun to do. So I sort of sat down and sort of beavered away, desperately trying to understand how to process joysticks and sort of move graphics on the screen. Uh, But yeah, that was a, a lot of fun. And I think... One of the things I love about computers and programming is it gives you this opportunity to experiment on your own without judgment from other people. You can just sort of sit there on your own and you don't, you don't need input from other people. You just sit there with a the problem and just try it over and over and over until you get it right without having to think about what other,
1: other people think of what you're doing. Yeah, I think that was the joy of it, a puzzle to solve, a challenging puzzle to solve. Um, you can always think of the next level of puzzle. Um, so yeah, I agree.
0: Everything to do with the, the career, I think it's really, really interesting, and I think it's going to give great context to obviously the, the spirit of, of what we're actually going to be talking about today, which is regarding the the career framework that you guys have set up for Cadere UK within the engineering uh, practice. I think, as as you know, as mentioned before, there traditionally. The path into an engineering career is usually paved with a with a graduate degree but i think you know as, as time goes on as as we're going to speak about it's not so much a necessity as it once was so would you mind yeah kind of just speaking about you know top level at the moment what what that framework is and and sort of what it, what is it about
1: yeah thanks for asking um well one of the things
2: that James and I have sort of both noticed of over the years of being in the industry is that a lot of what we've found is that with the workplace for knowledge workers, so that's you know software engineers and accountants and graphic designers and everything else, there's these sort of poorly defined of levels of achievement and grades that you find throughout the industry. So in its simplest, if you think about right at the start of your career, you finally got a job, you've done some learning already, so you know the basics, but you've probably never had a job before. You don't really know what it's like to be employed by someone and to have uh, responsibilities, certainly not to the level of a workplace set of responsibilities. So a lot of the er- very early career stuff is about getting to the point where you're you're capable of doing work mostly unsupervised. Like we, we can sort of leave you alone and sort of ask you to go and make this thing for us. Here, here, here are the criteria, it's gotta be able to take in book titles and ratings and it's gotta store it into a database. So we give you some sort of pretty simple things to do, but we'll still check your work. We're gonna come and check your homework, see that it's all done. And that, that's sort of like the, the junior engineer grade of things. And then moving on from junior, you, you eventually become an engineer. And an engineer, we don't need to check the work so much of. We, we don't need to come and make sure you've filled out all of your timesheets and sort of completed all all the everything. But you need to be a good team member. You need to work with the other engineers and testers and project managers and everything else. After that, you become a senior engineer. So what was well, a senior engineer? Well, that's someone who's been in the industry long enough that we've got good reason to really respect their opinion and listen to them about the areas of things that they they know really well. So those go to people. You know, and I think we've all seen it. Like Sally is the go to person for unit test coverage, or Jeff is the the person when we need to build the the DevOps pipeline. So like. These people sort of naturally get to a skill level where we will trust them and their sort of knowledge of things. So that they, they become like a miniature authority about some sort of thing. And that's what a senior engineer would look like. After senior engineer, what typically happens is you've gone from a position of being a really good individual contributor to like, of building something and working with others. And then at the very next step we seem to sort of expect everyone to take on leadership responsibility. So we've said, hey, Jacob, uh, I see you're a really good software engineer. How about you get a bunch of other software engineers to follow you and then they'll be just like you. They'll be just as good as you because that's how it works. Just by being next to you, they'll somehow be perfect too. And so we sort of set up this, this structure where even though we haven't taught you how to lead anything, uh, we now expect you to lead. And for some people that works fine. But there's just not much support and people, and I think we've all seen it, there's a lot of people who get put into those positions where they're not good at it and not interested in becoming good at it. And it would be better to sort of help those people with a a different career path that focuses on their strengths rather than things that they're not good at. And what we wanted to be able to do is give much better sort of guidelines to people early in their career about what these different levels look like. So they can sort of have reasonably well informed of opinions and expectations about what, what to expect from their career as they go forward.
0: Yeah, it makes tons of sense. And, and another thing as well is, is that uh, kind of, you know, the journey or, or the framework, does it become cyclical in the sense that, you know, you, as you say, you start as a junior you work your way up through the ranks over time and and gaining experience then you become if you do go down that leadership path you then have take on your own set of juniors who then starts the process almost over again so you've kind of got a non-stop almost like you know flow of of new and upcoming engineers that essentially go through their own development process
2: yeah there's very much a sort of pattern of that as you sort of grew up through the ranks people were helping you and then uh if you sort of picture it, we're all sort of trying to climb over this wall. Someone got to the wall before you, and they had help, and they're now at the top of the wall. And now you've just arrived at the bottom of the wall, and they're going to reach down and help you get to the top of the wall. And then they'll go. Then you're at the top of the wall, and then the next person's come along. And they're at the bottom of the wall, and you're going to pick them up too.
0: Yeah, it makes perfect sense. James, what do you think about, you know, in terms of the uh, the graduate intake, or what does an ideal applicant look like?
1: I mean, I guess that varies depending on, on the route, there are a few routes in. So for experienced hires, then obviously we're looking for somebody that have, has the correct blend of skills. And the thing to remember about our business is we're not just looking for technical skills. We're looking for some people skills. We're looking for people who are going to be good in a team and who are going to work well with our customers. And part of what we need from them is that they're going to be able to help our customers build and gain knowledge as well in a very constructive way. So we've experienced hires. we're already expecting to see levels of all of those skills, depending on um, really what level we're hiring them at. But the entry level routes in at the moment, we have two main ones. We have the graduate scheme and the apprenticeship scheme. For the graduate scheme, we... We're looking for people with a degree. That doesn't have to be a computer science degree. We take physics, we take maths. I think we'll take any you know technical degree. And we're looking for people who are going to be quick to learn. But we're also looking for people that are already showing signs of those people skills. It's easier for us to teach the technical skills than it is for us to teach the people skills. So if we can find somebody who is bright, is keen, is committed... Has a level of technical knowledge. Hopefully, you know, if you do a physics degree or certainly physics or maybe a maths degree, there's a good chance you'll write a bit of code. So maybe they've done a little bit of coding. We can then go through our 12 week graduate training program and we can give them the basic technical skills that they need to act as a junior engineer with our clients under the supervision of the more senior engineers. For the apprenticeship route, We've, we've had some real success through the apprenticeship route with people who have changed careers. It's, uh, it's not necessarily very, very young people who are coming through that route. There are some people coming in with more industrial experience from a different sector. And that can be enormously beneficial because they, they already bring some of those customer-facing skills, they already bring some life skills, they bring some maturity, and then they go through a boot camp. And that boot camp teaches them very similar to what our graduate training scheme would do, um, basic technology skills that we can then hone on our clients and through our internal training. But they're already coming in with life experience and good interpersonal skills and some good technical skills. And we've had some real successes with people coming through that route who have been able to move up through the ranks quite quickly and, that's I think that's an area where I think we probably want to look more in the future. We want to look deeper into that, things like the returners market as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. Do you think that there's still, even today, like a big misconception that the barriers to entry to an engineering career are still you know, there are still high barriers to entry, essentially, that you need the degree is an absolute necessity. Don't even try unless you've done something really technical. Do you think that puts a lot of people off? And then that's probably why we're seeing such a shortage of talent in the
1: industry at the moment. I think that's definitely a strong misconception that's held out there, that this is an industry that is very difficult to get into. I mean, to some extent, that's true, because you do need time to develop those skills. You do need to be able to show something to get you hired. That might be a boot camp. That in itself is a considerable investment. That might be a degree, which is a very serious investment. It might be Actually, I think if we had somebody come to us who was able to show us a really good profile on GitHub where they demonstrated some strong skills, I'd like to think that we'd consider that for something like the graduate program. And we have talked about whether we can open that graduate program up to people without degrees, but who are able to demonstrate that technical skill base to us. It doesn't have to be to an enormous deep level. We can train what we need is we need people who we can tell are going to be able to learn these skills and who are bringing some of the harder to teach skills into the business and i think as as nick was saying that might be a bit easier for some people who are a bit older and have some additional life experience the life experience being the important part then the experience in self-control that nick described uh, so I think, yeah, there are some in some ways it's true that it is a hard industry to get into. In others, if you take the right approach, it's very easy, I think.
0: So just to that as well, why is a, a graduate scheme or an apprenticeship scheme a good idea as opposed to just looking going, you know, finishing university, just looking for a for a standard job? Why is it a good idea to go into one of these schemes instead, do you think?
1: I think it depends a little bit on where you want your career to go. If you are coming out of a degree program and you you know you want to become a developer in an organization, work your way up through the ranks in that organization, um, then maybe you know a graduate scheme isn't essential. You can get an entry-level role and you can move through that process. The advantage of a graduate scheme, particularly one at a consultancy like Cradera, is we're going to give you some very intensive training. We're going to focus on you as a rounded individual rather than just your technical skills. And then we're going to put you into a series of client environments and you're going to be able to build a very diverse experience very quickly. And that is a really good way to progress a career quite quickly and to give you a wider range of options in the future of your career than you would have if you had you know, perhaps been um, just just technical I don't like that phrase but if you hadn't focused on that wider range of skills in your career early on I think it gives you a really good platform to build on that gives you a whole series of directions outside of engineering as well as within engineering that you could take
2: and James it's probably fair to say that neither of us went through a a graduate scheme and we we did still manage to be you know fairly successful in the in the industry but I suspect. for for each of us, if we had been on a graduate scheme, that would have accelerated everything. Especially if you look at the graduate scheme that we've put together at Credera, it's tailor-made so that that intensive period gives you all of the bag of skills that you need to be effective on day one. You won't have the experience yet, because there's only one way to get experience, but all that background and skills, we sort of make sure that you're fully armed with all the tool sets and and everything that you need to just be good to go uh, whereas i can't speak for but definitely for myself i just needed to sort of muddle through <laughs> as i went along and i just sort of had to call on help and sort of figure it out but we've kind of just with the grad scheme we've just laid the tracks and we've just just given you that solid like here is the stuff you need to know um, and there's just a lot less guesswork for you
1: I, I totally agree, Nick. I think the hardest thing to get in this industry is feedback. It's very hard to get constructive, honest, frequent feedback. And the beauty of a well-constructed grad scheme is you get that in spades. the same with the apprenticeship scheme. You, you're going into a, a fast-moving environment where you're doing a lot of different things in a short period of time. You're getting a large amount of quick, intensive feedback being given chances to grow and improve. And I'm, I'm certain it would have accelerated my career significantly if I had started through that route.
0: What sets apart the Credera uh, Graduate Apprenticeship Scheme to like other ones? Do you think like what would attract an applicant to to apply to the Credera schemes as opposed to one of our competitors or, or one just anywhere else? Like what, what does Credera do differently?
1: I think it's still quite a small scheme. And the, the size of that scheme, it means that you're going to be better known as an individual, I think, and that we may be able to take your individual needs more into account. And we, that's certainly something that we try very hard with. We try to understand the people that we're working with. We try to make sure that we place them into client roles at the end of the scheme that suit what they want to do in particular We give them the opportunity to rotate through roles quite quickly, even if that's sometimes difficult to arrange with clients. So I think we're very person-centered. We really put people first. And I think that's something which can be hard to find in the technology industry. And I think it's something we do very well.
2: We also have a lot of focus on paving the way for career progression for all of the graduates. People involved with our graduate scheme have worked very hard to make sure that everyone is getting the right sort of experience and feedback and opportunities. It's not perfect. We work very hard to make sure each individual has this pathway.
0: Do the schemes have something built in that, that looks at you know, the measurability or the provability of the kind of success of, of you know, the applicants or the members of that scheme?
1: So that was one of the motivations behind the updated career framework that we we discovered that the existing framework well written as it was wasn't entirely clear in what people needed to do in order to secure a promotion and as nick was saying before the biggest thing that we wanted to do with the new framework is just make it extremely clear this is a set of you know specific measurable attainable realistic targeted Um, or attributable probably um, criteria that you, if you meet these, you have a good case for a promotion. That doesn't guarantee a promotion, but it certainly gives you a really good guide for what you need to do to build that promotion case. And that's something that you can talk to your appraiser um, about and make plans. And you can plan your career a little bit around it. And it gives you an idea for how quick your progression could be what it's likely to be um and i think it's just an awful lot more transparent than these things usually are and we've discovered that transparency is something that's very highly valued
2: one of the things that we're sort of aware of is um sort of the survivor bias so the systems that the industry had in place sort of um I don't know, I doubt it was by design, but so it has prioritized somehow certain stereotypes through the industry. And what we're particularly keen on doing is leveling the playing field and making sure that everyone has fair access to what is incredibly, incredibly valuable careers that we find in consulting and software engineering. So to do that, we want to make sure that everyone has access to... A clear set of career requirements that sort of lead you on your path so that everyone has a good opportunity to get to the more senior levels. So that means we've got to be clear about it. We have to be consistent. We need to be fair and reasonable and just arm everyone with all of the information and a clear enough structure that they know what to aim for at each level of that framework. So we're trying to sort of focus Primarily on evidence that you can give towards um, your next promotion case,
1: I think that's the key thing. It's things that are easily measurable and understood, and that you as you're going, you know how well you're doing so that you have a, you don't get to the end of the year and you're surprised that you haven't met the criteria.
0: and I think I can imagine why that's not so commonplace in a lot of different schemes that people could apply for. I think it's it's easy to just get get hires in and then sort of set and forget almost and then obviously yeah that's not a very fulfilling uh proposition for for those people in their career especially early on
1: my my proudest statistic from the scheme last year was out of the 12 graduates that started we still have 11 working with us now a year on and some of those people we've been able to promote twice through the extremely good work that they've done and the great contribution they've made to our business.
2: Yeah. I think that's a a great metric to, um, think about because obviously we're seldomly going to be able to keep everybody, but I think that's a, it's a very happy metric still going back to what you're saying about why a lot of places haven't taken the career framework to the level that we're aiming to is life is complicated. Business is complicated and what once you sort of pull back the covers on things like career framework you realize how detailed and careful and specific you need to be when constructing it so it, as we codify these rules we have sort of sometimes quite long debates about whether or not it's reasonable to have a specific criteria so l- let me give you an example uh, of, of something that can be difficult to decide so One of the things that we want to do with our engineers is um, as you get into like a senior engineer responsibility, not only do you need to be sort of a subject matter expert to some level of, of your chosen area, but also we want to know that you can perform consistently in different environments and in different challenges, that this wasn't some sort of one-off situation that you happen to sort of be really well supported and everything was easy for you. And if we move you to another place, you're going to fall apart. Right. We, we, we want to make sure that a senior engineer is sort of rock solid. So one of the criteria that we looked at putting in is saying that you must have had experience on X number of client engagements with different clients. And on the surface of it, that sounds fine. But then when you peel back the covers, you realize, well, some clients are very big. So when you're talking about um, in the public sector or some of the large financial or, or power providers, there are so many teams and it's such a diverse set of um, problems and environments across that that company. Is it fair to say that you know having done X number of projects inside that same client uh, doesn't count? So yeah, we, as we codify these rules, which is important because to be consistent we need to write down what the rules of the game are we just have to be very careful that we're not accidentally excluding people from those opportunities
0: yeah absolutely and and is diversity and inclusion as well something that is you know quite important to the the schemes that you're that you've got the career career framework on given that you know the engineering space is is, you know is quite well known for being one of the lesser less inclusive areas to work in traditionally
1: yeah, that is something that is very important to us. And it's, it can be quite challenging, actually. Um, it's not always easy to recruit a diverse team, I think, is what we're discovering. And you have to be prepared to look at multiple entry routes in order to build the diverse team that you're looking for. And that is part, actually, of what's driving some of the additional routes we're looking at, things like the returners the idea of trying to actually improve diversity of candidates so that we can then improve the diversity of our hires, which our engineering community is very passionate about. We have a large number of the engineers within our community who have volunteered to assist looking at you know how we can grow diversity within the business. And they're doing some great work with recruitment and with the scheme organisers trying to make that happen. And we've made some really good progress. I'm actually quite pleased with our diversity figures, but there's always more to do.
2: Yeah, especially if you consider, we we don't just want them to be diverse at the sort of bottom end of the pyramid. We wanna make sure that diversity, equity, and inclusion is sort of represented all the way up through the pyramid. That, that will take us some time, but I, I suspect our, our industry has unfortunately gotten to a state where it's not well supporting people of diverse backgrounds through promotions.
1: I think it's also one of the reasons why it's so important to have a very strong, uh, measurable, objective career framework, because it, it it helps to remove any bias from the promotion process. I don't believe that anybody in our business would intentionally, potentially apply bias to that process, but you know, unconscious bias is a thing that we have to be aware of. And I think having that objective process that we can actually measure and say, no, this person has exceeded the criteria for this in a measurable, provable way is is a strong help.
2: Yeah, and then that sort of brings me to an interesting thing to discuss, and that's um, how, how do we decide... These, these criteria and why someone should get promoted because if you don't understand why somebody should get promoted it's very hard to build the the criteria for that and as i was sort of saying earlier on like the the chain of progression looks a little bit like this right at the start you're sort of dangerous to be left on your own as you're working we need to pay someone else to check you check that you're okay and check your work so that's a cost to the business as you get better, we don't need to do that anymore. So you're now more valuable to us. You're, you're helping us more because we don't need to pay someone else to, to look after you. You're self-sufficient. As you progress up, the additional value that you start providing for us and our clients is that you start leading the way and supporting the others. So having you around on top of your individual contributions of writing good code and, and everything else you're also helping everybody else in the team either by sort of helping them with their code or making sure that your morning standup is being run well or engaging with stakeholders, you're, you're providing additional value uh, throughout the course of the day and uh, being part of
0: the team. We've spoken a lot obviously about, about the graduate and apprenticeship scheme. If any of the listeners were interested about applying for either one of those, how would they go about doing that?
1: So the graduate scheme we have just taken on uh, our our September cohort and our October cohort is due to start. So for the apprenticeship scheme, we run apprentices at multiple times of the year. So keep an eye on, on what we're doing. Follow Credera on LinkedIn and you'll find information about those schemes and about our experienced hiring as well. Unfortunately, I think that's all the time we have for today
0: again huge thank you both Nick and James for coming to discuss this with us uh, I think it's been hugely insightful and I'm sure a lot of people who are listening also find it incredibly insightful as well whether it's uh, any you know senior leaders in an existing business or you know future credera grad or apprentice scheme hires speaking of other listeners thank you so much for sticking with us to talk about this today and please join us next time for another episode of technically minded